Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 214, and I am your co-host, Ari Mizell. And I am Nick Sonnenberg, your other co-host. <laughs> and we are remote right now. Nick is in Palm Desert, right? Palm Springs. Palm Springs. And I'm here in New York. Nick is experiencing Coachella for the first and probably only time. Right? Yeah, for, first and last time. But <laughs> I can tick the box. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this week's episode of the Less Doing Podcast is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your snail mail to the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for business over to digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all types. Visit lessdoing.com slash postal, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's lessdoing.com slash postal. And thank you to... Earth Class Mail for sponsoring us this week. So let's get right to the links of the week. So the first one, this is an Indiegogo campaign that has already raised over a million dollars. It's the Pop Slate 2. And when I first saw this, I was not very interested in it as a concept. But then as I thought about it, I really liked it. So have you seen this, Nick? No, I haven't. Okay, so it is a case for your iPhone, and the back of the case or the outside of the case is actually e-ink, you know, so electronic ink. So the back of the iPhone can actually show you a lot of information that is live. So every time that, like, you're at a dinner and you purposely turn your phone over <laughs> to not check there, <laughs> basically you can't turn your phone over anymore? Exactly, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> The reason, the re okay, so I like this for a couple reasons. One of which is, as you know, and as everyone knows who listens to this, I'm really big on having very, very few apps. It's not just about having few apps, it's just about like, it's sort of like using less resources in a way, right? So I feel like if you, you can use less screen real estate if you have information on the back. But this actually is really useful for a number of situations, one of which is like if you have a boarding pass. So if you're at you know, JetBlue or whatever, you can not have to have it on the back screen of your phone or on the, the front of your phone. So you can be doing something else and then it's just sort of there, like it's always there sitting on the back. You could have your Starbucks card. You could have it be updating with stock information constantly. So, I mean, it's debatable how useful it is, but I think it's really cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. I would wonder how distracting it is, though. I mean, a lot of the times, like I said, like I purposely turn my phone over so I can engage in a conversation. No, you so don't. If, <laughs> I try to at least, but <laughs> I mean, this would basically make it a 0% chance that I could ever have a meaningful conversation with someone. Yeah, yes, it's a fair point. 
It's a fair point. And of course, you have to think about, you know, what's the difference between having on the back of the screen or the front of the screen? My, my main thing with it, my main issue is that, uh, you know, you and I both have cases that hold our credit cards, right? So for me to get a case that doesn't do that, and then if I were to put something on top of it, I'd be blocking the screen. It's just, it means I have to carry a wallet now, which is not as Yeah. It's, yeah. Is it worth enough to make you carry a wallet? Exactly. So, no, probably. Probably not. So it's a cool idea. I'd love to see how some people might end up using it. I'm sure that there's some really interesting use for it, but there you go. That's uh, Indiegogo recommend for the Pop Slate 2. Cool. Um, the next one is called Nady or Nadi. It's N-A-D-I, and it's made by Wearable Experiments. This is workout gear, so it's pants, that will correct your form. This is clearly aimed at people doing yoga, but basically in real time, it'll be like a yoga coach and show you if you're doing something in the correct form. So I think this is really interesting and I think it's very useful and certainly doing something in bad form can really hurt you and doing something in good form could have a lot more effect. But this almost feel, to me feels like having the bumpers on in a bowling alley. You know what I mean? Like it's like you almost like need to figure it out a little bit or like you, no one like it, having the perfect form I think is almost like something that we shouldn't be trying to achieve in casual sports. And if you're not doing it casually or doing it professionally, then you have a coach. Yeah, I, I guess it matters how, how they're implementing it. I don't know, sometimes I would like to have one of those just out of curiosity. And like having back injuries in the past, like having good form really is super important. But well, yeah, yeah you have, I have a coach, so. Right, exactly. So, okay, now here's another one. And this is, I don't know, I'm so interested in the, the app itself, but more about what it's providing. So this is called No More Voicemail. And it basically, it helps you stop your voicemail box from becoming full by sending your unanswered phone calls to endless ringing, which is weird, first of all. But what they're trying to do is force people to text you instead of leaving a voicemail. Now, I know lots of people who have a voicemail message that says, don't leave me a message, just text me. Mine says, don't leave me a message, send me an email. So I don't know why you necessarily need an app to do this. That sounds sounds weird. I mean, you could also just not set up a voicemail box. Right. You could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> right. so. Like, and then they'll just say this, this person does not have a voicemail box. Thank you. Part of the reason that this piqued my interest is just because it's made by a company that I do like. So this company is Teltech and they have a few apps, one of which the first app was called Trap Call. And what Trap Call enables you to do is unblock blocked numbers. Have you ever seen that? No. So it's really, really cool. I've used it before. It's, and it's, it's ridiculously simple the way it works. Basically what happens is when you get a call that comes in that's blocked or from like a private number, you ignore it. You know, how you, you basically hit the, the power button or whatever on your phone and you ignore it and it sends it to another number and then it sends it back to you. And the basically it's sending it to an 800 number. And the rule is that uh, in America, at least, because if you call a toll-free number, the person that you're calling has to pay for the call. The system will unblock any number that calls an 800 number. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's, it's a little loophole. So basically, it forwards the number to a 1-800 number that then forwards it back to you unblocked. Very cool. Yeah, so I've actually used that before. And Trap Call also allows you to record calls. It's, 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 it's neat. The other thing that they make is called Spoof Card, which allows you to fake your caller ID. So you could call somebody as another number, which has all sorts of nefarious implications. But regardless, this is just, it's a company that messes with the way phones work. So that's why right. I find it interesting. But more importantly for people listening, I, like I, to me, voice, it, it it's weird, actually. You, you might be able to help me explain this better because I'm such a big fan of asynchronous communication and Roger and everything. 
you could argue that voicemail is a form of asynchronous communication, but it's it just seems so much more inefficient. Like I don't use voicemail, but why? Well, why it, it's more inefficient because you, to get to voicemail, you have to waste the ten rings in up front, right, to get to the voicemail. So Roger is basically like voicemail without having the ringing. Right, right. Which is sounds kind of silly that that should be an issue, but it is. Also, you don't have the risk of them picking up. <laughs> it's like straight to voicemail without a risk of picking up. That's a good point. So anyway, I'm not actually recommending this app to people, but I am saying that you shouldn't be using voicemail, first of all, and you should be redirecting people to some form of, of more asynchronous. I haven't checked my voicemail for like a year. Yeah, yeah, I never. I mean, it says don't leave me a voicemail. It's very, very simple. Okay, so I got a couple more here. So this may seem like it's specific to what you and I do, Nick, and I actually haven't shared this with you yet. I thought this would be something that we could, that might be interesting to think about for some clients. It's called Cardform, and you can basically, not basically, you can build a website and blog from Trello, right out of your Trello cards. So this is basically, you're living in Trello, you're using Trello as you know we tend to do, and it will build the site based on the Trello card. So you essentially are writing blog posts and whatever you want in Trello. And then whatever you, I don't know how it works, but you know, if you move it to a particular list or something, then it goes as a live post. So, wow, that's cool. Why don't we try doing that for the blog? Well, this is, this is yeah. Okay, so that, I, that was one thing I thought was interesting. But the other thing is that we manage content for several clients. And I thought it'd be really interesting to use this for them too, where if we're writing things, you know, that, that for them or we're producing things, it's so much easier to just move from column A to column B and then it's a blog post. Yeah. So, so it's, it's all in Trello. It's, it's hosted on AWS. Yeah, and, and with Zapier, I mean, you could have all these automations. You know, if you tag something in one place and it hosts the card to Trello, and then car, like whatever this is called, picks it up and posts it to the blog. Yeah. So this is something that I thought that we should look into, but it just, it, 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 I wouldn't have thought that this is something that you could do with Trello. You know, I'm showing you right now, like this is an example. And again, we'd have to learn how this works exactly. But look, you're like all the configuration is here and everything. Yeah. That's it's awesome. Really, it's really interesting, right? And so the reason that this is interesting for me and Nick, I think, for everyone listening, particularly, is that we're already able to do some very ninja-level stuff within Trello that a lot of people aren't even familiar with. And, and we do that through some custom integrations that we've created and things like that in the dashboard that we have. But if we can now have a, a up-to-date live website created out of Trello, it's really interesting. Definitely. So we're going to have to look into that. The next one is called uh, Dietarist, and it's your one-to-one diet coach. With It's basically a text-based chat service, and you can do it through Messenger or through WhatsApp. This is not particularly new, but I, just, I, I always just find these things worth mentioning because it really does work for a lot of people. If, if you're able to basically tell someone, look, I, I'm, gonna, I'm about to eat this, whether it's a good or bad thing, or this is what I ate tonight, and they're able to give you very real-time feedback about, hey, you know, that looks like it has a lot of sugar in it, or um, you really should try to add more greens to your food. It's extremely effective to have that kind of accountability and knowledge when you're trying to figure out diet. And what would be really cool is if it syncs with your like calendar or your open table account, and then ahead of time it says, hey, hey, Ari, uh, I know you're going to Tamarin this Wednesday, you know, you should probably stay away from these three dishes on the menu. Yeah, that's a, that, that would be nice. That's thinking like an app developer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you're interested, check out dietrist.com. 
com. So this week we hired our first, well, not this week, actually for the last a couple weeks ago, we had a VA join us who is based in Australia. I didn't really have a segue to this. I just wanted to talk about it. And it's really helpful because now we have somebody who can work, you know, in essence, the night shift. So uh, it, it's one of the, the challenges that we're seeing with that, obviously, is that, you know, you have somebody who is not really awake when most of the people are awake. So communication means that, uh, it, 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 to me, it's like a new level of asynchronous communication, right? Because in some cases, you're going to give somebody a whole bunch of instructions that they're supposed to sort of do on their own for the next eight to 10 hours without any input from you necessarily. I think it poses a very interesting and a good way to challenge. Yeah, uh, I think that like you have to have that in order to have a company like ours be efficient. You know, we have to have twenty four hour support and a handoff. So we're gonna have to figure that out. But you know, it's definitely something we need to do. Yeah, well, and the reason that I brought that up now was uh, it, I don't know if you saw Team Time Zone, Nick. No. So it's a very, very stupidly simple integration for Slack, which I tried out today. And basically, it just takes everybody in your Slack team and demonstrates them and sort of uh, organizes them by time zone. So it wasn't really... Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to show it to you right now. It, was, it wasn't really useful before when everybody was in the US, but now that we have a little bit of distribution. So can you see this? Oh, wow. Yeah, so everybody, this is West Coast. Uh, you know, there's that, there's that tool that we saw like where it's like people can kind of check in when they're going to be on or not. So does that also take into account the time zone? It did, but it, it was something weird about it. Like people had to opt into it. This just, I guess this is very clear, the time zone. Yeah, isn't that neat? So look. Yeah, 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 that's cool. I mean, really all you need is like Eastern time and like, you know, t- sometimes like Australian time and you're, pr- you're pretty good. Yeah, but look at all the different time zones we have. I mean, we've yeah. got, you know, Australia, New Zealand. Well, Italy. you have like mountain time, like it's just like an hour off of Pacific. or Yeah, but then we have Italy, Israel, uh, yeah. you know, so th- I, it's cool. Cool. Yeah, it's just a nice way to see like who should be working right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, Nick, do you have anything else uh, you want to share? No, uh, that's pretty much it. Okay, great. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. So you want to take it away, Nick? And yeah, thanks, everyone, for joining us on this week's episode of the Less Doing Podcast. Tune in next week when we're going to interview Rodney King of Crazy Monkey Defense. Um, And if you're interested in optimizing, automating, and outsourcing your life, sign up for Less Doing Virtual Assistant Service on lessdoing.com. The Less Doing Virtual Assistants are the most proficient and professional virtual assistants on the planet, which makes them an incredibly powerful resource for busy entrepreneurs, executives, business owners in need of a helpful hand. To learn more about the Less Doing Virtual Assistance, you can visit lessdoing.com. That's, that's it, Ari. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thank you. Bye. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy, busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, 
We've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing Certified Coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Vern Harnish, who has become a friend and is an incredible guy. He founded EO, for one thing. He's the CEO of Gazelles and the author of Scaling Up, and a pretty darn good travel companion. Vern, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Ari, I'm telling you, I never had more fun that week that we were hanging at our growth summits throughout Europe and, and got to see you work in action. If anyone's never seen Ari work in action, you got to know that he practices what he preaches and it's amazing, which, you know, we just hired your firm to come in and help us do the same thing. Yes, I do. And thank you for that. So there's so many different places that I could start with this, but I guess the first, let's start with gazelles actually. So tell people what gazelles is and what a gazelle is. Well, you know, it's a technical term that David Birch at MIT gave to growing companies. There's mice, the small business, the elephants, the Fortune 500. But there's this group in the middle that really do all the heavy lifting in the economy. And uh, it's what I've spent 34 years of my life doing is helping them scale up and face all the challenges and the and, you know, the people issues and the strategy issues and the execution issues that come when you have 10 or 100 or 1,000 employees. And so uh, that's all we do is help them up that S curve. Well, and I mean, that, you know, you make it sound like it's so simple. It's a big deal what you, what you guys are doing and the, and, the, and the coaching that you're offering to do that. Growth of that kind is the kind of people don't realize that that's the kind of growth that can kill a company. Yeah, you know, uh, Andy Grove said that early on that uh, more companies die from indigestion than starvation, and and uh, <laughs> right. you know a lot of a lot of folks would like to have the revenue growth, but you know Scott, who just took Atlassian public two months ago today, uh, you know he took that thing from zero to four point two billion and fifteen hundred employees. There's a lot of stuff you got to put into place and. We were honored to have him as a client and, and many others that have been able to make that journey. Well, it's always interesting to me, and I see this all the time, where you see companies that are doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue or, or profit or even over a billion dollars, but you just can't understand how they're doing it because they're so badly organized, like they miss opportunities, they have bad customer service, they have bad, like all these things, but they're still doing really well. Well, that's where strategy can trump a lot of things. You know, uh, you don't have to do any of the execution stuff that we teach that saves you a lot of time and money if you've nailed strategy. If you've got something people absolutely want, that'll cover up a lot of slop. And if you've got heroic people, you know, willing to work 18 hours a day, eight days a week because maybe they have a vested interest or whatever, that'll cover up a lot of slop. But I'll tell you, it's hard to scale. And the reality is those that are really doing well long term, when you kind of pull the covers back, they've, they've got these fundamental practices that we teach companies early on in place. 
Well, and so I, I guess actually it's almost worth defining what you mean by scale and scalability and being able to scale. Like for, I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, most people have like a sense of what that means, but what does it really mean? Well, you know, at least on significant revenue, the technical definition was 20% a year. And so that means you're going to double every three or four years, which is pretty significant if it's on a base of a few million or tens of million in revenue. You know, much easier if you're a startup to have those kind of growth rates. And then clearly, we've got a lot of our clients that are growing at 100% a year. They're kind of living dog years. And so it's somewhere <laughs> in that It's somewhere in that kind of 20 to 100% per year. Well, no, but I also, I mean, like, really, are, are we talking about, a, when we're talking about scalability, we mean that it, it can grow infinitely and it's set up to do that or that, uh, you know, there's, there's processes in place? Like, what, what, is, what needs to be in place for a company to be properly scalable? Yeah. So we look at four areas, you know, people, strategy, execution and cash. Uh So obviously on the people side, you've got to bring in talent ahead of when you need it. Uh, If not, that can really become a constraint in the business. And do you have this ability to bring on talent fast enough to keep up with the growth talent that you're then getting properly onboarded and trained so they don't come in and blow up the place? And again, that's easier said than done on the strategy side. You know, there, you know, once you've nailed it, the bigger challenge is to keep people from going after all the shiny objects, you know, to to stay laser focused on one or two things and not get distracted. So there's more of our our focus uh, in work uh, with companies. Then on the execution side, the number one challenge, Ari, is communication. You know, anyone who just gets married knows, you know, the challenges, let alone you've got 10, 100 or thousands of employees. And so we've got some real, you know, you know, simple processes, meeting rhythms that we put in place. A lot of it related to the same stuff they do now in Scrum and Agile to make sure that you've got software that's coming out on time and is bulletproof and, uh, and scalable. And so a lot of those same methodologies you've got to apply to all sides of the business, sales and marketing and operations because if you just start making mistakes, that's what can really slow the place down and hurt your reputation in the marketplace. And so we became best known for really helping guys scale up the execution side of the business. And then last, man, you can get by with decent people, decent strategy, decent execution, but not a day without cash. And we're big fans of John Mullins, who wrote the customer funded business and and many, many folks, Mark Cuban, in fact, uh, has been railing against the fact that entrepreneurs have gotten too crazy about going out and raising money and that there are infinitely much better things to do than go bug your family, friends and fools for some money that, that put undue, un, uh, you know, huge pressure on your back. And so we show guys how to scale up on the cash that they've got and how to generate cash instead of suck cash as they grow. Well, and, and what do you see as the biggest, the, the, like the number one problem, the biggest problem that people's uh, companies have when they're when they don't, they're not able to scale. The founders and senior leadership team get sucked into the day to day operations. Uh-huh. They need to be spent. I'm being literal about this. They yeah. need to spend four of every five days out doing market facing activities, uh, which means you got to be able to run the company basically a day a week. And if you can't do that, that's when things start going bad. I, I, I mean, I, I could not agree more. That's very much in, in keeping with what I teach as well. Um, and I get that. And, you know, there's this, there's this really interesting research that shows that you have to be able to offload 70% of what you do every year in order to grow as a person and as a company. 
And I think that a lot of times, not only do people take on too much themselves, things that they shouldn't be doing, but they, it, they very, very quickly get stuck in a rut where they just do those activities over and over and over without changing. Well, and you got to a very important point, this, this idea of delegation. You know, I've got, an, I've got an MBA. I never took a single course in delegation. And we just assume people understand how to do that. But look, 99.9% of the humans on the planet don't, uh, and particularly talented people who believe, how could I really find someone else that could do it as good or better than me? And that's why 96% of companies don't scale. In fact, 76% remain home-based businesses because the entrepreneur really can't let go or they hired somebody, they tried to delegate, they hired the wrong person, it all blew up and they're like, I'm not doing that again. And it's just them and themselves hanging out there, you know, trying to make some bucks. So that's why this this ability to know how to delegate versus abdicate properly is so critical. Now, the good news is we can delegate a lot of that stuff to technology, and that's what you're brilliant at. Well, well, thank you very much. You're working on a new book, right? I mean, Scaling Up was – you're working on another one now, aren't you? Well, we're working on actually four books. So okay. we, <laughs> we, what we do is we're going to go deep now. We, we consider – let me step back. We, we really are big into gamifying a company. You know, why yeah. fight the fact that your employees would rather be p- playing Candy Crush than working inside your company? And so let's just turn the business into a big game of Candy Crush. And so we consider scaling up really the game plan. And then what we're doing is we're writing four playbooks in people, strategy, execution, and cash. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, that's, I can't wait to see that. And then as far as gazelles, you know, you offer coaching and you have some new, you have a new product, right? We do. Yeah, we've got 170. I just saw the latest list, 177 coaching partners on six continents working with a couple thousand clients on any one day. Now, we want to scale that 10x. So our new big, hairy, audacious goal is to get that something over 22,000 clients. And and basically, we figured out what we want to be when we grow up. And that is the tech stars. I'm a, you know, a dear friend of mine, Brad Fell, co-founded Techstars, uh, which really was a definitive process for helping startups get going without wasting a bunch of time and money. And we're creating the Techstars for scale-ups and specifically wanting to work with cities, Ari. You know, most these cities have pretty robust scale-up infrastructures, you know, as an incubator on every corner. But, you know, <laughs> honestly, it doesn't really move the needle economically. It's the scale-ups that do And so we're bringing the scale-up ecosystem to cities around the world, and that's what we're focused on. Yeah, and that's so cool. I mean, the being able to to I mean, I I, personally, I think you're doing a public good, you know, because you're you're really enabling some pretty big dreams to actually reach their potential, and especially in the market that we live in, or the I guess the the technological place and time that we are now, everybody can reach such a larger audience so much more quickly. And and again, as I said before, with that potential comes a lot more risk as well. So, you know, that being like crushed under your own success, basically. So, yeah. yeah. And what we want to do, too, is we want to shine a spotlight on a different segment in the population. You know, Jim Collins research has shown and he's kind of following it that most people's creativity is actually twice over the age of 50. You know, Peter Drucker, you know, wrote twice as many books after age 50 than he did before. Same with Picasso in painting. And so I'm getting ready to keynote this big conference down in Medellin, in Colombia. It's the Global Entrepreneur Summit. And I'm going to be talking about this move from startup to scale up ecosystems. And I'm going to show two photos. One of your typical, you can, you can picture it yourself, typical person you see 
running a startup, some kid, you know, doing a tech thing. And then I'm going to show a picture of Thazar Martinell, who's in his mid to late 50s, who's been swinging at the fences for 25 years, but has finally cracked the code and is going to have the next billion dollar company in Barcelona, Spain, which is where I live. And he'll be rolling out 300 factories and has solved the affordable housing problem on the planet. But look, he's in his 50s. You know, he's not the kind of guy that the media normally gets excited about. But this is the typical age of scale ups. Uh, even you know, look, even Apple was 25 years in business before they finally turned the corner. Same with Starbucks. And so we want to bring that message to the cities that there's a, a whole different cohort in your town that you need to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so now this is a total shift here, but I, there's, this is something that you've told me about many times before. And in some ways, I guess this is the opposite of scaling. But you tell, you've told me a, a really, really wonderful story of a man who hyper specializes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. You know, I, I love sharing a story. In fact, I'll share it on the stage here this afternoon in San Diego and, you know, I'm passing through Istanbul and I read about Ali. He's this, uh, you know, guy in his mid fifties who, since he was a kid, loved carving wood. And, he, you know, he got a job like you would expect with a furniture company, carving out pieces of dining room sets and living room sets. But on the side, he really began to specialize in carving wooden doors, but not just any wooden doors, wooden doors for churches, but not any churches, particularly Christian churches. He's in this little southern province of Turkey that's kind of considered, you know, one of the early birthplaces of Christianity. And he'll do a mosque or two, don't get me wrong. But he today is like the go-to guy in the world if you're a Christian church needing a large, ornate, carved wooden door. And he has no problem with marketing. You know, people stand in line and hope that he chooses, you know, their project, which is what you want uh, to be is that kind of uh, market position. And, you know, he controls his own pricing and margins as a result. And that's what we call hyper, not just specialization, but hyper specialization. And we think that's what everyone's got to do if they really want to scale up profitably. Right. Okay. So that's the point there. So it, it is that is a form of scaling, then, right? He's just he's scaling his numbers basically. I mean, he could make one door a year and still be growing at thirty percent if he wanted to. He could because you know as, as he becomes more famous and it come, becomes tougher to get his door if it's good. Look, you got to be good at what you're doing. Uh, that thing will be worth more and more money. And we are moving to the creative class. And that's where hyper specialization is even more important. Well, so which is good, and I really want that. I want people that to resonate with people that everything Vern teaches. I, first of all, I I agree with it. I'm in line with it. But you have to also keep in mind that you don't have to reach a billion people to to be big. Like you just don't. You can be through this hyper specialization. Hyper specialization. And um, actually, there's a, a really other a, a really cool other example that I I meant to email you before, but uh, there's a guy named Arthur Sasek. And what he does is builds, uh, basically people commission him to build very ornate and very uh, functional machines out of Lego. So he actually has built a Lego machine that will fold and shoot a paper airplane. You know, and it's all made out of Legos. And it's like a company commissioned him to do that. (laughs) You know, and he's the guy if you want to do something like that. And that's what you want to do. You want to be the go-to guy. And that's then the key. For what? And, and we'll be talking about this afternoon, 
you know, it all comes down to figuring out what word or two you can own in the minds of the marketplace. And most, 99% of the entrepreneurs won't get that accomplished. But the few that do, that, that can be found on the search engines, they're the ones that can really scale up uh, profitably and, and control their own destinies. Yeah. So uh, on that note, the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Yeah. You know, I think number one and is going back to an old idea that Regis McKenna taught me uh, back in the 80s when I was scaling up ACE and then YEO. And by the way, he was the guy that consulted with Steve Jobs and Andy Grove and the whole Silicon Valley group. And that is, you know, you get the most leverage through people. And whenever I'm working on any project, I recall his lesson, which is take out a piece of paper and write down the 25 people that you need to absolutely get on board with whatever it is you want to accomplish and then start working that list. So we've gone into Kansas City and we have our list of who are the key players there that if we get them to sign on, the rest is history. Everything else is a hundred times easier. I've got an initiative going on in London and we got Harvard to sign on. And the minute we did, like all the doors opened up that otherwise would have been massive amounts of effort on our part. Uh, when I launched Ace, and I'll tell that final story, you know, Regis said, all right, take a piece of paper out. And you're this kid at Wichita State University who's got this dream of building this global organization, make the list. And so I was young and dumb and I put down President Ronald Reagan. I put down Steve Jobs and Michael Dell. And I put down the heads of Inc. and Venture Magazine. And they then had me just start working the list for an hour every week. And Ari, 36 months later, we were global. I had just hosted the big event. It was Steve Jobs coming out party after being fired from Apple. Have him sitting right next to Michael Dell with President Reagan, sending in his congratulations and getting full page ads in Inc. and Venture Magazine promoting what it is that we're doing. 36 months later. And I could have worked as efficiently as you could ever imagine and couldn't pull that off if I had not had those key people behind what it is that we were doing. And so to me, that's always your biggest leverage point. Uh, the second piece of advice is just figure out the word or two that you want to own in the minds of the market. And then number three, read Eli Goldrath, rest his soul, read his book, The Goal. It absolutely is the single most important business book ever written. And it's all about figuring out where are the constraints and then you know, getting them fixed. And that's how you set your priorities every day, every week, every year, and uh, for your life. Awesome. Those are awesome. Uh, Vern, thank you so much. Where would you, you like people to go to find out more about what you're doing? Um, you know, just remember the name of the book, Scaling Up. So they can just go to scalingup.com. And we got a lot of free stuff up there, a one-page personal plan, a free chapter on how to run strategic planning sessions with sample one-page plans. So a lot of good stuff up there at no charge at scalingup.com. Vern, it's always a pleasure. I hope to see you soon and have a, a great speech. You got it. Thanks, Ari. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. 
you go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.